Thank you. You may be seated. I feel like a school teacher when I say that. It's got to be a better way to just say that. You're adults. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, here we are, the, the second installment of our, of our study in Philippians. And uh, if you were here last week, we touched a little bit on the whole tension between culture and faith. And we talked a little bit about that, that tension that happens between culture and faith. And I came across a story this week that I just, I, I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, you know our friends in the South, they love their football, right? You know, be it college, high school, whatever. And uh, in, in Cincinnati, Ohio, there was a, a football game between two rival high schools. One, one was, was Coloran football, and the other one was a, 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 a Catholic um, school. The Catholic, uh, in the top 30, the Catholic school was rated number 26, if I got it right, and Coloran is rated as number 8. Okay, so you've got this. And by the way, the, the, the Catholic school is an all-boys school. Okay, that's a really important thing. I guess, I, I guess at the end of the game, uh, St. Xavier's, the Catholic school, actually won. They shouldn't have won. They shouldn't have beat Coloran. And uh, the coach of Coloran was really, really upset after the game. And it turns out that the, uh, the Catholic high school started chanting something near the end of the game. And what they started chanting was, we've got Jesus. <laughs> which, which, absolutely, <laughs> which absolutely incensed the color and coach. Like he just thought that was so, you know, bad sportsmanship and all this kind of thing. He just thought, you know, because this all-boys school was chanting, all their fans were out there in the, in, the, in, the, in the stands, chanting, we've got Jesus. Well, it turns out after the complaint was lodged to the league, that Colleran was kind of guilty of something already. You see, Colleran started the whole chant by saying, we've got girls. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I thought that was so funny. Can you imagine being at this football game and one side going, "We got girls, we we got Jesus," you know, like. Anyway, I just thought that was a great culture faith colliding story, and I'm sorry, I would have loved to have been there. You know, I think it would have been a would have been a great thing, great thing to see. And, and, and last week we talked about uh, the, the, the certainty of faith. And I know in, in, in the culture and the days that we live in, to, to talk in any way about the certainty of what we believe in is, is, is not a topic that's very comfortable for us to even enter into. But we saw last week from Philippians 1.6 that as the Apostle Paul is in jail and um, as, as, as he's in chains, and as he's languishing in this, in this environment, right, he talks about the certainty of faith that he can have about, and we talked about two specific things that he highlighted. And he, and, and he highlighted that God is good and that God is faithful. That God is good and that God is faithful. And we said whatever God starts, it is a good thing, and God will bring it to completion. God will finish it, whatever it is. Now, I don't know about you, but in my years as being a pastor, the, the number of times I've, I've had people come to me about stuff, the, the, the truth of the matter is, those are the first two things we discard, or we doubt, or we walk away from when it comes to the issues of life 
that, that come upon us. One of the first things that you hear all the time, why did God allow this? Why is this happening? Why does God allow the evil to happen in the world? Why, 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 why? I thought God was on my side. I thought God was going to help me through this. I thought God was all of that stuff. All of that happens all the time. And all of us, even if if we've had any interaction with another believer, any interaction with another person who's been a follower of Jesus Christ, you know we've entered into that state of questioning. And yet time and time and time and time again in the scripture, the thing that gets repeated all the time is that God is good and that God is faithful. And yet they're the first things we discard when it comes to a life of faith are those two things. But for the Apostle Paul, he held on to those two things in a very, in, in a very real way. And he didn't allow his circumstances to sort of judge the character and the person of God. He recognized that we lived in a fallen world. He recognized that there were moments that God used these difficult circumstances in our lives in order to grow our faith, to remind us of his goodness, to remind us of his faithfulness in the midst of those things. So we're going to piggyback um, a, a, little, a little more on um, what, where we started off last week. And what we're going to talk about today, I think, I, I think is the single greatest reason that Christianity does not make an impact in our culture today the way it should. I think this is a, a huge lesson for us to sort of enter into and to walk away from today. I, I think if you, if you wonder why we don't have a greater impact, if we don't make uh, greater inroads, if people don't see Christianity as the faith that, that is the real faith, if you really have a passion about people knowing uh, you know, Jesus Christ and why Jesus is, is the way to God, the only way to God, if, if you struggle with why we don't make a greater impact, I think, I think what we're going to talk about today is for me anyway, in, in, in all my experience, the greatest reason why we don't make a greater impact to the world around us. Okay? Now, we're technically looking at Philippians 1, 12 to 30. We're not going to be able to get through all of, all of that. I'm not going to read all of that passage. We're just going to highlight a few verses in that and, and sort of talk about them. And hopefully you'll be able to walk with me as we look at a very, very important section of Scripture that, again, sets the tone for the rest of the book. It's very, very important that we grasp this uh, very much, okay? So starting at verse 12, and just going to read verse 12 alone as it is, where Paul says, I want you to know, and he's writing to the people in, in Philippians, in Philippi, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Okay, for those of you that don't know, by the way, gospel in Greek means good news. Okay, so this translation has, has uh, recognized that culturally when we talk about the gospel, very few people know what that really means. Okay, so talking about good news here. Now, it's very interesting. Now, Paul, asked, as, as he says this, if you read the remainder of, of, of the verses after this, he talks about how he's had an opportunity to witness to all the guards, the Praetorian guards, Praetorian guards who are in, in the cell with him, 
Okay? Now, it was all kinds of different... We're not exactly sure where he is. If he's in Rome, you're talking about very important guards. You're also talking about uh, a, a shift that's every four hours that somebody's in there with him. Okay? So... Paul is having a, a great opportunity to witness on a regular basis to different people who wouldn't otherwise be able to hear that. Okay? And if you read the passage further, Paul says, not only do I have a chance to witness to the guards who are, who are taking care of me, but all the Christians that know, know about me, know about my circumstances, know about my situation, they have a bravery, they have a, um, a courage now to speak the truth to other people. There's something that's happened to them. Um, they, they have this boldness about them. And Paul sees that as a good thing. That's another advantage of him being in jail. And he even goes further on to say there's all these other people who are preaching. And here's a really difficult passage. If you have an opportunity to read that passage in your devotions this week, try and do that. But Paul's talking about these people who are preaching out of unpure motives, who are going around preaching Christ with unpure motives because, because they're doing it for their self. Okay? And there's a tangent right there, right? Okay? The guilt that we see happening in our culture and our world around us about, about the motives of why we, you know, preach religion, if you want to talk about in those terms, right? And there's those with pure and unpure motives. The unpure motives of some of the people is in order so they could hurt Paul even more while he's in prison. Imagine that. That they're targeting Paul as an individual to make his chains even worse is what the text says. So there's three things that are happening that Paul mentions out of all of that. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, what does it matter as long as Jesus is being elevated, preached, talked about, communicated? Now, I don't know about you. But none of that is normal. None of that is normal. You see, for Paul, you've got to make this distinction. For Paul, it is not just the fact that he is in prison and he sees it as a personal injustice to him. He sees all of the gospel, all of the good news as being under trial. Jesus himself is on trial. The faith is on trial. For Paul, it's a divine appointment. It's a divine intervention of God to put him in a situation where the faith can get tested in such a way. Now, I don't know what, you know, what a perspective to have. Imagine, I don't know, uh, let's talk about what's normal, all right? Let's, let, like, scream it out. If you were in jail with Paul, what would you be thinking? Why am I here? This is unfair. Absolutely. Where's God? I'm innocent. How many times? Yeah, that's that's. A, I want to launch on that point for just a second. Do you realize that that? 
the only time the Apostle Paul used the fact that he was a Roman citizen was to make sure it got him to Rome so he could witness to the emperor. Do you know from the time that Paul became a Christian to the end of his life, he spent a quarter of his life in prison. That's staggering. A Roman citizen who should never have spent a single day in prison. So it's startling. You know what else I would say if I was the Apostle Paul? Do you know what I've done for you, God? Do you know, you know what I've sacrificed for you? Do you know who I am? And you do this to me? Not normal, is it? What about the people who now, who are outside of the prison, outside in, in the city, who know about Paul's situation? What about them? What, what, about, what about now that they have this boldness? What could they have been saying? What would have been the normal reaction for them? Come on, shout it out. Let's... What's going on here? What's going on here? Where's God in this? How could God do this to a man of God? A man who's committed his life to you. How could you do this? This is an injustice. This is, you know, discrimination against a particular group. Right? Are you, are you feeling uncomfortable yet? I am. I am. And those people that are, 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 are preaching with unpure motives, right? What about that? Wouldn't we, wouldn't, we, wouldn't we challenge them about their methodology? Wouldn't we challenge them about, you, you know, their motives and, and, and all of that? Wouldn't there be a huge challenge? But Paul says, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because I have enough confidence in the Spirit of God to be able to use what's being preached, proclaimed, in order to touch the hearts and the lives of people who hear it and maybe change them. But the fact of the matter is, in all of this, Jesus is being elevated, not me. And here's the key thought in all of this. Is that the way that we react to adversity is the most potent tool for touching others. I think this is the, one of the greatest reasons why we don't have an impact in our culture around us to the degree that we should, because we act normal. We respond in a normal way. We respond in a way that is expected, the way anybody else would respond. We respond in ways that, that people would say, you know what, you're justified. It's okay for you to respond that way. We respond in ways that people say, you have every right to respond that way. You have, you, you have a way to respond because that is your right. But Paul doesn't. Now, I want to make one thing very, 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 very clear. It doesn't mean that you put yourself in hurtful situations. All right? 
I don't want anybody to hear the wrong side of this or to think that you become a doormat or think that you become something that, that, that should be abused and, and, and all of that. That's, it's always the big fear for us as humans, isn't it? Right? But we are never called to react normal. We're always called to act by the Spirit of God in acts that aren't necessarily natural. When we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is not natural. I don't know about you. Uh, I've been a pastor a long time. It's still not normal for me. And I struggle with it. Because you get hurt, right? I have to remind myself that I need to forgive. I need to remind myself that I need to act with grace. I have to remind myself that I need to act in a certain certain way. And the problem is, is that the way that we react with adversity becomes the most potent tool that God has given us to touch others. Because people say, what's the matter with you? Why are you forgiving them? Why are you bitter about that? How can you see that as something that God is actually working out for your good? You know, how many of us take Romans 8? You know, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. It's fascinating to me. The Apostle Paul wrote that passage. And here he is living it out. That he can say in this passage, you know what? For me personally, wow. But I see this as a greater issue than just myself. William Blake wrote, A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. That's Paul's attitude when it comes to these people who are speaking and and their motives may not be pure. Paul has this amazing way of taking a perspective that, that we don't easily take. You can take this story, you can read this story again, and you can say there's nothing normal in this. The way Paul's reacting to this, none of it is normal. None of it is what you would have expected. None of it is the way you would have seen it play out. And he would have, and you know what? The reality is he would have had every right to plead to God and say, why are you doing this to me? That would have been a fair prayer to ask. Rick Warren said, it is easier to fight for truth than it is to live it. That is why we have more defenders than we have disciples. It is easier to fight for truth than it is to live it. That's why we have people, more defenders of the truth than we have disciples. Paul was a pure, true disciple of Jesus. And here, I, now, are, are, we, are we okay with the whole perspective thing? I, I, I needed you to see that. I needed you to see just how, how unnatural this passage is in the light of everything that is happening. None of this in this passage, would have been what you would have expected someone 
in the circumstances that Paul finds himself in to be reacting like. Okay? Let's go on. In verse 21, listen to this. This is, this is one of the well-known passages in this, in this, in, in, in this book, and I needed, to, I needed to deal with it as well. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I could be more I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better to keep living or to allow death. I don't know about you, that's 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 quite a place to be. Okay? And I love this. I'm torn. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Do you realize that Paul in the book of Philippians actually desires to die? That is a very important point. For Paul, the glory that is awaiting him because of his faith, because of his circumstances, he is quite happy to let it go. He says, for me personally, it would be far better if I exited this life. But for your sake, for what I've been called to do, for what Jesus has called me onward, and we're going to get into that passage a little in, in, in uh, another two messages about that. To move him forward onward, he presses onto that goal for what God has called him to be and do in his life. And he is so passionately committed to that. It's amazing. You're looking at a man, and, and, and you know, it's, 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 it's the model, right, of what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're looking as a, at a perfect example of what it means to live for Christ. Perfect example. All right? Here are, th- uh, you know, here are three reasons why I think Paul can live this way. Okay? And the first one is that he has a divine perspective on everything. Okay? Now, this sounds like a trite point, and it sounds like, you know, I've heard this time and time again. I've heard this uh, in, in, in so many different messages. But it's a very important distinction to make in your own life. That whenever you view the, your life and how it is working out, and, and, and you, you look at it from a divine perspective, it transforms everything in your life and the way you think and the way you see things. It's a very, very important distinction to make. He saw everything from a divine perspective. That's why he can be in prison and see it as an opportunity to do something for Jesus. It was never this, this, this why me? It was never this, um, you know, unfair, what I have done for you, all of that kind of stuff. He saw it as an opportunity because if you're passionate about the right thing, the circumstances will rarely matter. If you're passionate about, about any... I've seen people who are passionate about sports, right? And an injury comes along, and they're so passionate about that sport that they work and they work and they diligently get their health back because they want to play that sport. 
They don't let the circumstances dictate what their passion is going to end up being. And even, if, and even if something happens for them that they can never play that sport again, they're devoted to it the rest of their lives in one degree or another. Paul was exactly the same way. Exactly the same way. He can look outside of the circumstances and see it as, as a divine appointment of some kind. Right? And, of course, the, the second point leads, leads from the first. You know, he had a single passion, a single desire. It's what got him up in the morning. He saw, he saw Jesus as the hope of the world. He saw Jesus as the Messiah of God. He saw Jesus as the one that, that couldn't cure all the problems but could save people from themselves. He saw that as the hope of the world and, 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 and lived it out in such a way that he was willing to spend a quarter of his life in prison in order to communicate it. This is a hard lesson, right? Hard lesson. And you know, the third thing is Paul recognized that to be a disciple, you had to take up your cross. I don't want to take up my cross. You know, that hurts. Oh. I don't know how we ever got the idea that becoming a follower was going to be easy. I don't know how that ever got into um, our understanding of the Christian faith. But it means that, that we have to take up our cross. Paul knew very well that in the culture that he lived in, to stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ meant that he was going to face opposition in a way that would threaten his life. What's the worst threat that we get nowadays? People may not like us. People may not be around us, want to be around us anymore. It's a loss of, you know, relationships maybe. We're not at that point yet where it's going to be threatening our very lives. Okay? But it's not, it's, it's not meant to be easy. Because if it was ever meant to be easy, it wouldn't be very good faith at all. Look, if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, right? He gets thrown in jail. He goes, great, I get to convert the guards. That's what he says. Okay? All right. Bring them on. Every four hours, you guys are going to hear... Paul goes from the captive in prison to a captive audience. Okay? Then, <laughs> then everybody says, you know, we're going to execute you. And Paul goes, hey, that's great. I get to enjoy heaven. Like, I get to enjoy eternity with you, right? Bring it on. I'm not, don't go anywhere with that, please. You know, it's just like, you know, right? Executed. You know, if they let him live, and, and he says this in the passage, if you let me live, then I get to preach even further. I get to do what I love to do. Get to preach even further. Right? Um, and, and you know that in, in Corinthians, he was given a thorn in the flesh. 
And, and, Mo, and he said, I prayed to God three times. I asked God to take it away. And it's very interesting because he says, God said no. And I said, okay. That means I get to show the glory of God through, my, through that weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but none of that's normal. All of that is against what our natural tendencies would be to think and to do and to act. But there's just something about the Apostle Paul that, that, that stands up and, and, and really challenges the way that we see the world around us, the way we react to things, the way we see things, the way, the, 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 the way that, um, that we respond. You know? And I've said it again. I think the way that we respond to adversity is the most potent tool that God has given us to touch the lives of other people. Because when we respond in an abnormal or an unnormal way, when we respond with grace, when we respond with forgiveness, when we respond with a sense of godliness, something happens. Now, I need to attach one little thing to that statement. I have found over the years that whenever adversity happens, that the gospel is somehow attached to the witness. I think it's very, very important. You just can't suffer in godliness on your own. But at some point, when you've communicated, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I forgive, or I'm, I'm holding that, that bitterness out of the situation, or I'm responding in this way, or I'm acting in a way that isn't exactly normal. There is something powerful that happens in the life of the other person. Something very powerful. And it seems to be a seed that the Spirit of God can use in a way that doesn't normally happen. See, because when you respond in a normal way to the circumstances and that around you, suddenly people say, huh, This faith is no different than anything else on this planet. I could become anything. Or I can just continue to live the way I am, and I'm going to be okay. Because your reaction absolutely proves it. And because of that, because Paul didn't act in a normal way, he was the freest man possible. And one of the most powerful individuals today. Okay. You know, I just, <laughs> you know, I just taken a book all about joy and ruined it, eh? Right? But here's, here's, here's the rub. Here's the, here's the rub. Here's the rub, right? Because of that, that's why, that's why Paul was an incredibly joyful person. That's why he was an incredibly free person. Because he lived with that passion and that understanding. And he lived so unnormal from what what was expected around him that the circumstances of his life never dictated, never dictated how he viewed God or the world around him. It was very, very important to have that thing. 
Listen, here's the, here's the tough part. Here's the, here's the sink at home part. Here's, here's, here's the part I, I, I want to I appeal to you today. And this is difficult for all of us. And, and I, don't, I, I don't want to minimize this at all. But for each and every one of you right now, there's something or a circumstance or a situation or, or an issue in your life right now that you're acting normal. In fact, if, you, if, you, if we sat down and talked one-on-one, um, you would have every right to act the way you, you're acting. You would have every justification to, to, to respond the way you are. You, you would have, you, you, you know, you could list every, every human reason why you're, you're acting that way. But let me ask you, is you acting normal, stopping God from doing something amazing in your life and changing your heart in a dramatic way. For some of you this morning, it's, it's probably an opportunity to say, you know, I've held on to this a long, long time. Maybe it's time I just say, I forgive you. Doesn't mean I put myself in a situation that's going to be hurtful again or anything, but maybe just, you know, for, my, for myself, I need to say, you know, I forgive you. Maybe you're in business and you're just about to enter a, a deal that's a little bit in the gray area. But everybody does it. It's normal. Um, I could justify it. It's going to make me a lot of money. Maybe there's a, a bitterness that you've held on a long, long time. And it's absolutely justified. But maybe it's time that Whenever you enter into that kind of circumstance or situation, it sort of blocks you off from everybody else. And it's time for you to say, you know what, that, that bitterness is, 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 is stopping me from entering into a relationship with somebody that, that otherwise I could have very much have entered into. And you could stand up here and you could say all the reasons. And we'd all say, sing it, sister, or sing it, brother, you know, whatever. You're absolutely right. But is acting normal what God wants us to react with? You know, maybe, maybe you're being abusive. And you have a life of anger inside of you. And it's normal for you to lash out. Ask yourself... Is it time to stop acting normal? That's, 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 that's the power of this, of this passage. That's the power of, of the Apostle Paul. That's, that's something we have to put out front and center. That for every, everything, if you read this passage, if you're in your life group this week and you're going through this, you're going to realize that nothing in this passage is normal. Everything is totally unexpected to the response we would normally have. And often in our own lives, we have to stop and say, wait a minute. Is acting normally what's expected, what is rightfully mine to take, rightfully mine to act on, is it necessarily the best thing at this moment in time? And you know, if you don't, if you don't, if you can't wrestle with that, 
you will never have the kind of joy that this book talks about because it's at the heart of what Paul is talking about. All right? Okay. All the best in your life groups this week. All right? Amen. Right? Listen, that's a hard challenge. That's a hard challenge. You know, years ago, it was the old adage, what would Jesus do? Okay? Um, that's, That's a constant theme that comes up. Constant theme that comes up. But let me ask you again. How are you acting normal in a situation, in a circumstance today, right now, that is stopping God being glorified in your life, stopping your faith from being deepened, stopping God from acting and intervening in the situation and circumstance that you're in right now, that God could do something miraculous in. But because you're acting normal, it's all falling apart. All right? Okay, let's, let's pray together. Father, I... Thank you for these words. I thank you for this message. I thank you for this book of Philippians. And Lord, we got to plod through some pretty hard realities. And it's so easy for us to objectify this passage and to set it out in, in, in a distant land and in a distant place. But if we really look deeply into it, Nothing in this passage is what we would have expected for someone to respond in a normal way. And yet because they don't respond in a normal way, there is something about Jesus that comes to the forefront that touches people's lives in such a different way. And yet if, if this book had been just Paul complaining about being in prison, the unfairness of it all, the justification of how he is being targeted, then the power of this book would have been lost the next day. And yet here it stands as a, as a witness these 2,000 years of what it means to live fully sold out to Jesus Christ. It's a tough lesson for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray for... Maybe someone here this morning who has been touched by your spirit. Maybe they would enter into the prayer room. We have a prayer room, Lord, that maybe you are moving somebody to go in there this morning to be prayed for, to be asked for forgiveness, to pray about next steps that they want to take because they know that what we've been talking about this morning is something that's impacted their life very, in a very real way. And Lord, we're not saying it's easy. We're not saying it's an overnight thing. But we are saying that we need to take a whole new view about how we respond to adversity. Because Lord, we know that the way that we respond often becomes the most potent tool for us to touch others in very real ways. So, Lord, thank you. We pray your blessing upon this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.